Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we are joined by Stefano Block, Assistant Professor in the School of Geography and Development at the University of Arizona. Stefano reflects on his initial encounters with the writings of Henri Lefebvre as an undergraduate literature major and discusses how Lefebvre's ideas have served as a foundation to all of his scholarly research and teaching since. Stefano also provides useful advice for how we need to approach theory as ideas and tools to be applied rather than eternal truths. Thanks for joining us today, Stefano. Thank you. We're here today to talk about Henri Lefebvre. I'm wondering if you could just get us started by giving us a short introduction to who he is or, or really what he's known for. Henri Lefebvre is one of those scholars who's claimed by many disciplines. Sociologists insist he's a sociologist. Geographers claim him as their own, and as do other fields. He really is a sociologist, but more than a sociologist, he's an urbanist. So he, he lends his theory to any field that's interested in the socio-spatial production of the built urban environment. But his theories really could be applied to the rural, suburban, or even global environments. And, um, his work is influential because he does take that spatial perspective to socially to social subfields, and um, so he's kind of an you know an an every person theorist claimed by all. So you're already bringing up this key quality that Lefebvre tr- transcends or crosses over disciplinary boundaries. Do you get a sense of where he's the most read? It seems to me, and this might be because I'm a geographer, that he's most read and most revered within geography, but he really is a sociologist. I mean, I think in in interviews he's called himself a sociologist. That may just have had something to do with the fact that there weren't as many geography programs, if any, when he was coming up in France. Geographers really claim him as one of their own. In fact, I can't even envision the field of geography without an Henri Lefebvre, because Henri Lefebvre is who has inspired those people who have radicalized and, and, and really created the subfields of certain types of radical, critical human geography. Um, and without Henri Lefebvre, you wouldn't even have even been able to, to make those radical cultural changes. So I think no one would really try too hard to disagree with me if I was to say he was a geographer, if only because we insist that he's a geographer. I'm curious when you first became aware of Lefebvre's ideas, and actually even more than becoming aware of them, what was that experience like when you first read his work? You know, I, I first became aware of Henri Lefebvre's writings long before I really understood his writings or really how important he would be to my career and to the field that I would enter. And that was as an undergraduate at UC Santa Cruz. I was taking actually a literature class. I was a literature major. And um, the professor of the class, Christopher Connery, assigned readings that I now know come out of you know, critical or radical Marxist geography. And it was a class on spatial theory. So we were reading Henri Lefebvre, as well as David Harvey, his new book at the time, Spaces of Hope, and Franz Kafka's The Castle. And we were looking at spatial manifestations of bureaucracy. So uh, Kafka's The Castle is a prime example of spatial manifestations of state bureaucracy. And before we got into that literary reading, we read Henri Lefebvre to hear how he discussed you know, the, the socio-spatial components of state bureaucracy and the state itself. So it was in that, you know, that classroom as an undergraduate at Kresge College on the UC Santa Cruz campus where I was reading, you know, 100 pages of Henri Lefebvre a week and not understanding even one sentence at first. 
Was there anything that made those ideas click for you? And what kept you going when it was so difficult to read? No, I would sit in class while Christopher Connery would go through um, Henri Lefebvre's chapters with a classroom full of students who all seemed to be getting it on some level. And I would sit there and I would fake it and I would pass and I would act like I was getting it when in fact I had no idea what he was talking about. It, to me at the time, it was convoluted language. It was, you know, it was, uh, it was drowning in jargon. I had no idea what was going on. And um, I mean, literally, I, had, I, I didn't even have a, a, a mild, vague frame for what was being discussed in this, in this book, uh, The Production of Space, Henri Lefebvre's you know, major work. And one day after class, we all walked out. We were walking down the promenade area of Kresge College, and a student walked up to me who happened to be from L.A. and happened to know who I was before I went to college. And he walked up to me. Um, his name was Jonah. I, I, I wish I knew where he was today. And he said, you know, can you believe um, this reading? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's really great. You know, I was really passing like I knew. And he said, you know, I... I knew you were a graffiti writer, and it seems like everything Henri Lefebvre is talking about, it, it's as if he's directly talking about you and what you did as a, as a, as a graffiti writer. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I kind of you know, agreed with him, even though I didn't really understand what he was saying. And he said, you know, it's as if he's talking about how graffiti writers see and inhabit the city. This whole book is about how marginalized people, or in your case, members of subculture, inhabit and produce the city in alternative ways you know, that run contrary or against the mainstream. And I was like, yeah, th th that actually, that's starting to you know, ring true. That sounds right to me. And that very day, I went back to my dorm room at Stevenson College and I opened back up Henri Lefebvre's book and I started reading it with that statement in mind. And it, I mean, it's as if the pages came alive. Everything that I had thought was just drowning in jargon and so convoluted the days and weeks before my classmate had said that, all of a sudden started to, to, to make sense to me because I was hanging each of those words on this view of the world that I already held inside of me, which was the perspective of the world and the built environment as a graffiti writer. And it, it, it just, it translated the work for me because I had a filter um, to, to run these, this jargon through. And that filter was my own experience. So it made all the difference in the world. And it didn't all become crystal clear right away, but it started to, to, to become clearer and clearer as the semester went on. And uh, by the end of the semester, I was like how everyone else in the classroom appeared to be. And that was a full Henri Lefebvre convert. Did you stay attached to his ideas in a, in a pretty consistent manner as you moved towards grad school? Or did you take a break and then return at a later time when you were ready to re-engage with them? So when I graduated from UC Santa Cruz, I had a degree in, in literature. And, um, you know, I'd really fallen in love with the work of Henri Lefebvre. And because I had a background as a, as a graffiti writer, I had this, you know, whole subcultural career before I even went away to college back in Los Angeles. I applied that perspective of the streets to a research project that I put together with that same professor, Christopher Connery. And we used Henri Lefebvre's theories um, on space and his, his, his notion of the production of space and the production of abstract space and the production of social space. And we applied that to my own subcultural understanding of the built environment. And I applied for an undergraduate research grant through the humanities division at UC Santa Cruz, and I won. So I graduated from college with, you know, $1,500 in the bank. And um, I felt really good about myself because I'd been, you know, recognized for being able to produce this, this research out of theory 
theory that just a month earlier, I couldn't even, I, 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 it was like reading a foreign language. And when I returned to Los Angeles, I went into a coffee shop on Hollywood Boulevard. It was called Espresso Mi Cultura. And I was sitting there and I picked off a book from the shelf and it was, it was called Barrio Logos. And I opened it and it was dedicated to, I think it says something like the preeminent spatial theorist, Edward Soja. And I walked over to the pay by the minute internet kiosk. I slid my dollar in and it gave me, you know, 10 minutes online. So I went to the search engine, altavista.com, and I put in Edward Soja and there was his UCLA email address. So I had about, you know, six minutes left on the dollar I put in. So I emailed him and I said, you know, dear Professor Soja, I'm interested in your work. I would like to talk to you because at the time I was kind of, I was be- becoming interested in going to grad school. I wasn't really interested in Ed Soja's work. I was just interested in the fact that somebody referred to him as a preeminent spatial theorist. And he emailed me back instantly while I was still on that first dollar in the internet kiosk. And he said, I would love to meet you. Why don't you come down to campus and, you know, we'll grab coffee. Well, UCLA was 13 miles west of me, you know, down Hollywood to Sunset Boulevard. So I jumped on the bus and I went over to UCLA and I met Edward Soja. And right, the first thing he started talking about was Henri Lefebvre, you know, in his booming voice, you know, the spatial theorist that I helped resurrect in my 1989 book, Postmodern Geographies, you know, reading Henri Lefebvre um, while reading Foucault, and then started to tell story after story, including personal stories and interactions he had with Henri Lefebvre, and how that had contributed to really the growth of what was called the L.A. School of of urban theory. And I I fell in love. I was like, this is too much. This enthusiasm for this scholar who I became enthusiastic for because of my background as a graffiti writer, this is all starting to make sense, even though it wasn't intellectually making sense, more so it was emotionally making sense. And I applied to UCLA Department of Urban Planning. Um, I was accepted and I started working with Ed Soja, who, uh, for all those who know Ed Soja's work, his work is really based on a rereading and a reapplication of Henri Lefebvre's theories to looking at social and spatial justice in Los Angeles. So everything made sense. And that really, you know, ignited my career. So we can see what a foundational experience it was to read Lefebvre's work. But I'm curious if we could talk a little bit more about your research so we can see how you took those ideas and built on them or even if you challenged or, or, or modified them. Yeah, so while I was at uh, UCLA and working with, you know, one of Henri Lefebvre's biggest advocates, fans, and to some degree translators, I became, an, you know, an Henri Lefebvre scholar. But what's interesting is now in my professional life, you know, as, as an assistant professor in a geography department at the University of Arizona, I feel like Henri Lefebvre has become almost like the air I breathe as an intellectual. Everything goes back to how Lefebvre has conceptualized our built environment. So much so that I think there's, there's many times where I fail to even attribute what I'm talking about to Henri Lefebvre, and I certainly fail to cite him sometimes because his theories have just become, you know, the, the unseen foundation upon which we build so many more theories. 
So I, uh, um, I have a book in press right now with the University of Chicago Press called Going All City. And in that book, I talk about traversing the urban environment while navigating, you know, violence at the hands of gang members, police officers, you know, and really navigating trauma and poverty in 1990s Los Angeles. And I don't mention Henri Lefebvre's name once. I don't cite him in the book, but I don't think I could have written this book without his theories and without without the lens that he provided through which I was able to look back on my own upbringing and my own activities producing space myself. So I, I don't know if it's ironic or unjust, but he's like, you know, my, my silent co-author. You know, I, th- I think that makes complete sense. You can see it with in sociology, right? Everything is Marx, Weber and Durkheim. And there's so many ideas and questions that we ask that come directly from the way they theorize the world. But you can't attribute it to a particular passage or chapter or even book, right? It's just it's just there. Lefebvre's theories have become so foundational to my work. I, I go long periods of time without ever citing him or even mentioning him. But that said, I don't think I've begun a class where I don't start with a specific quote of Henri Lefebvre's, or I don't start with a way of conceptualizing the material that we're about to get into for the semester that doesn't come directly from Henri Lefebvre. So I, I, I really do explicitly put him at the center of the study, and then I, you know, I, I, I move away from him quickly. I, I take him for granted in that way. But for example, I teach an undergraduate course here at the University of Arizona called Cultural Geography, and I start with how Henri Lefebvre conceptualizes and discusses the importance of the physical built environment for thinking about the transmission of ideology. So as I say when I start my class in Henri Lefebvre's book, The Production of Space, he has a point about how it's not enough to pull the leaders out of their buildings in order to have a revolution. And to put it in a U.S. context, I often say it like this, again, paraphrasing Lefebvre, you know, it's not enough to pull the leader out of the White House and expect change by reoccupying the White House. But as Lefebvre says, you have to physically destroy the building itself because buildings themselves are physical manifestations of ideology that will contribute to the perpetuation of ideology. So if you want revolution to happen, if you want change to happen, you can't just pull the leaders out of the building and reoccupy the building. You have to, with Molotov cocktails and bulldozers, raise the building itself if you want there to be social change. And whether he's talking about Molotov cocktails and bulldozers metaphorically or literally almost doesn't matter because the point is that ideology literally and figuratively manifests spatially. And it's the spatial environment, the spatial, the built environment that has consequences for how we live our lives and see ourselves and categorize ourselves and interact. Ideas aren't just something you hold in your head and your heart. They actually materialize as the layout of cities with urban planning. They, they manifest as buildings through the practice of architecture. So relying on Henri Lefebvre's idea that ideology is nothing without its physicality is really the starting point of every class I teach, every article I write, the book I've written, and really every conversation I have with people about this incredibly meaningful discipline of geography. Do you find yourself pushing back or correcting any Lefebvre's ideas, or is it more that you have 
these empirical examples or, or lived experiences that you can interpret through the way he theorized the world? The areas where I would say I push back on Lefebvre is not so much as a pushing back as a kind of ignoring of the facts. And what I mean by that is many of the, of the, of the claims he makes about the role of, of the production of space in the perpetuation of ideology is all moving toward really a Marxist endpoint, and that is revolution. And if it's not revolution, it's a, it's a reorienting ourselves to power relationships based on our understanding of economic relationships. So Lefebvre will talk about the production of abstract spaces versus or along with the production of social spaces. And it really is a Marxian or Marxist framework. And for the sake of teaching and where I am right now intellectually more than even politically, I'm less interested in the, the end result of the theory and more interested in the application of the theory today to help explain the world as I've seen it personally going back. So I'm, I'm probably less future-oriented than Lefebvre, and I'm much more interested in, in, in you know, historical application. And Lefebvre himself said, you know, I'm, I'm a Marxist so that I can be an anarchist later. He actually said that himself personally to Ed Soja, as Ed Soja said it, while sitting in his hot tub near Venice Beach, California, when he came to UCLA to give a talk in the 90s. And, and Soja would say that, you know, Lefebvre always made that point. I'm a Marxist so that I could be an anarchist. But before you can be an anarchist, which is really, you know, breaking down hierarchical power structures, you first have to break down the oppressions of capitalism as a Marxist. So for myself, it's not that I'm pushing back against the Marxist framework. I'm more ignoring that Marxian lens through which to understand the application of his theory to the real world that we are right now inhabiting. I'm not, I'm not in conflict with Lefebvre. I just choose what to ignore in Lefebvre. That makes a lot of sense. And I noticed in your answer, you brought up the Marxist lineage. So I'm wondering, are there other particular theorists that you find work really well with Lefebvre as a way of adding to his concepts or building on them? Uh, so, something that's useful for you when you're doing your own work? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in geography, especially if you're to acknowledge, you know, that there's a, there's a split in geography between the, you know, so-called physical and the so-called human, even though there's so much beautiful crossover. But if you are to acknowledge that split, really radical or critical human geography, um, you know, was really inspired by the, work, by the work that scholars were doing by the late 1960s, people like Anne Buttermer, and by 1972, David Harvey and his publication of Social Justice in the City, which reoriented and provided really a, 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 a paradigm shift for the field of geography. And David Harvey has been recognized for producing that shift. I mean, he's been cited over 100,000 times. He's the single most important geographer ever, if not one of the most important scholars ever in the social sciences, right up there with Pierre Bourdieu and others. But 
I'm certain, and I'm certain that David Harvey would agree with me on this, you wouldn't have a David Harvey without an Henri Lefebvre. Um, Henri Lefebvre is really the person who produced the theories that David Harvey was then applying in more critical, grounded, and radical ways on through the 1970s to this day. David Harvey is still prolific. And although uh, Henri, uh, Henri Lefebvre's The Production of Space wasn't translated until the early 1990s by Nicholson and Smith, his ideas were being were being published in French years before that. People like Manuel Castells were already using his work, which was also influencing David Harvey. So you really had Henri Lefebvre contributing to how these scholars conceptualized, you know, the urban environment even before Lefebvre was was literally discussed in English because he hadn't been translated in English. So when he was translated in English in 1992, the English-speaking world of geography couldn't deny how crucial Lefebvre was. But for those scholars who were looking at his francophonic work, knew that he was instrumental to the entire field of urban geography. Now, you've done a lot of this already, but this is my favorite question to ask as a way to conclude the podcast. Thinking back about your experience reading Lefebvre, applying him to your own work, using him in every class you've ever taught, as you've told us, what would you say are the selling points of engaging with this work? Or if you're standing in front of an undergrad or a grad student or uh, even someone outside academia and you're telling them, you know, here's something you should read. Why don't you pick up this really difficult text and engage with these ideas? Why would they do it? It's funny because now, you know, when I, when I teach undergraduates and graduate students, I, I actually tell them, you know, don't read Henri Lefebvre's work. Don't just read it. Instead, apply it. Don't just sit there and try to get through 200 pages at a time of this really, at times, cryptic and convoluted, critical French theory from several decades ago. Don't do that. Instead, take the work and, and navigate through the text and find moments that speak to you on some level because you're able to connect his conceptualization of the urban environment as a physical manifestation station of dominant ideologies to the way in which you inhabit the built environment every single day. So I always tell students, don't read theorists. Instead, apply their theories to how you see the world. It's really not about you reading their work. It's about you engaging in a conversation with these theorists through the written word. And, and I think that's how you should be reading theorists. Far too often I hear students and you know, colleagues you know, quoting or referring to theorists as if, as if they have something to say that we don't yet understand or are all trying to better understand. Instead, I see it as, as they, have, they have said something that only matters insofar as, that it, as it's applicable to our own experiences. So it's not about memorizing line and verse of scholarship. It's about applying their work in our own work. And, and that's a different type of reading than, than, than the, 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 the typical way of sitting down with a dense book and trying to get through it and kind of try to one-up everyone else on, on how well steeped you are in that theorist's work. It's all about application. So if it's about application, yourself always has to be at the center of your reading of a theorist text. And one of the methods that I, that I adhere to most closely is the method of autoethnography, you know, writing about and doing research on culture as 
is mediated through the self. If your self isn't at the heart of critical or even in dense theory, then I'm not sure it'll ever really ring true or be applicable. You have to personalize it to some degree. And I do believe that all theories can be personalized and applied on some level. It's our job to do it. It's not the theory's job to invite us in. It's our job to translate the theory and apply it to our own lived experiences and life worlds. I do believe that is a perfect place to end the podcast. So thank you again for making the time to talk to us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Kyle Green. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme song, undergraduate sociologists Alicia Rios and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance. <laughs>